This is Coda Radio, episode 424, for July 26, 2021. Hello, friend, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. This episode is brought to you by a cloud guru. A cloud guru has cloud playgrounds. Now, these are Azure, AWS, and Google Cloud sandboxes on ACG's credit card, not yours. Go get certified, get hired, get learning at cloudguru.com. My name is Chris, and joining us one last time from the beach of Florida, it is our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Mr. Fisher. How are you? You know, I just assume you do every episode on the, on the beach down there with that beautiful Florida sand, crystal clear water. No, it's kind of a dreary day today, actually. Really? Yeah, but this is, um, this is our last, uh, you know, official regular Florida episode. I, I feel like it's going to be a shift, you know, because there was pre-Florida and then there was post-Florida. And now, I don't know, it's not really, it's not really going back because like when I went independent again, it wasn't a backward step. It was a good forward step. Like for you, it seems like this is actually a good move, but it's like how it used to be. Like a lot of things are coming back the way they were. Right. We're normalizing back to our one o'clock right after lunch or, or you know, <laughs> yes. lun- your lunchtime break, you know. We, we are staying live on Mondays, but we're moving it to 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. So that's no more drinking. Well, I mean, maybe actually sometimes a lunch drink is kind of nice, actually. <laughs> if you listen back to the back catalog, that definitely wasn't true. Uh, <laughs> uh, actually, I kind of love the idea of like going out to lunch, having a drink, coming in, shooting. Shoot, actually, for me, it'd be brunch, right? Come in shoot the crap with you, and then go lay down and take a nap. That actually sounds like a great afternoon. <laughs> yeah, well, this is back, you know. And uh, for those who haven't been following closely, I will be doing Jersey Mike is going back to Jersey. How is that going? I know you've been doing stage one, and we want to talk about working during the move, but just like on a high level, status update, how is that move going? You know, on a high level, like any big project or move, there's been complications, but it's overall going well. It's, and I hate to say this, but it's on schedule, but you know, that... Yeah, just like any dev project, saying something's on schedule is like begging for a problem, right? Yeah, it's just basically means you haven't figured out what's gone wrong yet. Right. Well, I, I well, we'll get to it shortly, but I did, something did go wrong. You know, tomorrow's a big day. I'm flying with, with the little one tomorrow. Ah, uh, that's the day, huh? The flight is at 6 a.m. Both of you have to be up at 4 a.m. Yes. And this, you know, and, uh, you know, mass mandate, fine. Makes tons of sense to me. But five-year-olds, I don't know. Right. This is going to be, I think, a little taxing. Yeah. 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 It's a lot to ask. That's a big ask for someone that age. Right. Especially don't touch this. You got to wash your hands. You got to plus security. I, but it should be fine. I've flown with him before. But this is, um, you know, I, I, I just had a travel experience both on the Amtrak and, which uh, for those outside the U.S. is basically our, what is it, like our weird federal pseudo government train system right it's this is more an unfiltered topic but you know amtrak is not actually the government yeah 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 it's like some weird private yeah pseudo private whatever and then i flew and like on the one hand i gotta give it to uh newark airport which i so i took the train up and i flew back i don't know how this is possible but somehow covid has made them more efficient what they're just fast i think it's because they they like are less concerned yeah, less people. Maybe that's probably what it is. Actually, I didn't think of it, but but the Amtrak was a goddamn mess. Really? Okay. Well, we'll get there. We will get there. 
first I need your advice on this. E- you know how we get a lot of these emails into the show about, hey, you know, so-and-so just put a book out. Would you like to have them on the show? Or so-and-so just sold their first company. Would you like to have them on the show? Like we get, we get so many of those a week. People constantly trying to trying to come on the show to like market their thing. And like sometimes they try to pretend like they listen to the show and sometimes they don't. They just it's just obviously a template. But I want I want to know what you think I ought to get about this one. So I opened up this one. I don't even open them all anymore because I can spot most of them by the subject line. But this one comes from Sarah M. And she writes, would you be interested in acquiring Dell EMC user data? We provide an extra edge to companies like yours by providing user data to unleash the competition and gain an aggressive lead over your arch rivals. You'll get a continuously updated data set with access to direct dial-a-phone numbers, email addresses, and professional background information so that accordingly you can craft the right sales pitch to target the right prospect. Let me know if this is something that would interest you and I'll share a sample file for your review. Along with the total counts available for pricing, thanks, Sarah Moon, Marketing Manager at Tech Data Optimizer, Inc. I looked up Tech Data Optimizer, Inc. Doesn't exist. (laughs) Not a real company. You just answered a huge question for me. I've been getting tons of spam on my work email. This is why, isn't it? It's the damn show. They hacked Dell EMC, or somebody did. They got Dell EMC user data, apparently, and now they're just selling it out there. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, for and like as if as if the Coder Radio program would want to buy this hot user data and like market to people in IT. I don't know <laughs> what you're thinking. I have been getting tons of these. I thought it was just like my email was on some stupid list. Oh, it probably is. Do I report this to Dell? Do I like forward this to some? Is there some email address? I just mark them as spam. Is that bad? Should I be reporting this stuff? I, I mean, I normally do, too. But when she's sitting there selling user data. From Dell. Well, how do you know it's real user data? She says she provides samples. <laughs> you mean the 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 almost certainly illegitimate <laughs> spammer? It's wild. Just the emails we get in. That's why I appreciate the legit emails. And honestly, how do you know she's a she? Just throwing it out there. I don't. I don't. You know. I mean, I don't even know if Sarah Moon doesn't even sound like a real name. I'm thinking it's like emc.py, right? It's a Python script. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if they have any any data on Alan Jude. You know. We get some good market research on Alan Jude. You know, if we could spy on those BSD <laughs> people, that's that's good. might be worth it. Now, if they wanted to sell me the M1 specifications, well, <laughs> all right. So uh, Daniel writes in. Speaking of the M1, he says, "Hi, Chris and Mike. I was listening to the recent show, and Mike was complaining about the terminals on the Mac and talking about how he's liking the direction of the new Windows terminal. Well, good news for you, Mister Dominic. Are you ready for this?" There is a new terminal emulator that's in the work. It's currently in private alpha, but you can request access to it. It's available at warp.dev. The project is focusing on Mac OS first and then branching out to Linux and Windows and the web. Uh, It has a really nice, slick look to it. And from the screencast they have available online, it seems very impressive. And I think Chris will enjoy the fact that it is written in Rust. I do. Yeah, so it's called Warp, warp.dev. I'll have a link in the show notes. And I mean, as far as terminals go, I'm not a very picky guy anymore, but it it does look awfully fancy. And it's just a pleasure to see something not 
written in uh, basically Electron, <laughs> you know, at least not using Electron and written in web web technology because so many of these things that I've seen recently have just been web apps. Yeah, I actually, uh, when I read this email this morning, I got excited. I actually reached out to the Warp folks. Did you? So I'm hoping to hear back, yeah, because uh, th- they tease you with this beautiful looking website and then it's like, oh, but we'll let you know when you can try the beta. <laughs> I'm like, give me the beta. Yeah, I signed up for the beta. Yeah, I don't do that often, but I was like, no, give me the beta. Ethan writes in, says, loves the show, uh, and he says, I have to agree with Chris's take on Gnome. I certainly didn't know their philosophy before. I didn't realize they were so delusional. Sadly, though, as a blind Linux user who's worked on and off Linux over the past decade, I'm pretty much locked to Gnome. This is primarily because of Orca, the Gnome screen reader for Linux, which is the only screen reader for Linux that is not console-based and works with the majority of applications. This, therefore, means I'll always need GNOME no matter what desktop environment I may want to go with. There's some, like LXDE, that do pretty good, but it all really comes down to Orca. And since Orca is a GNOME-based product, it generally works the best with GNOME-based applications. I tried Plasma earlier this year because you've spoken so highly of it, but unfortunately, it was inaccessible for me. Then I found out that much of GNOME and even other apps like Electron-based apps are not accessible when they're on Wayland. I'm not quite sure why it is, but it seems like they're supposedly going to be working on it. However, when someone is blind or has a visual impairment who must use a screen reader for everything to use Linux, I, along with the majority of blind Linux users, just have to use GNOME or LXDE pretty much exclusively. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. I'm quite sad that GNOME has fallen so far because they once used to be a great organization, but I'm even sadder that I can't switch away. Ethan. I'm going to let you go first on this one. I wish I had something better to say. This has been an ongoing problem for a really long time, and I know each desktop environment has their different initiatives, but often I have heard that Orca is the best screen reader for Linux, and that's a really tricky area because Linux is already so understaffed, if you will, in the desktop area. Um, There's really nobody that's handling some of these really hard problems that it would that could be involved at like all the decision making levels because if you think about in order to support something like screen reading top class you have to be part of the conversation when you're designing the UI of applications and the system and the control panel applets and all that kind of stuff you you really have to be thinking about it consistently and, and continuously and it has to be like a member of the team who's advocating for those things and it's not how free software development works it's different people desperately working on different aspects of a code base on their own. And they, you know, they don't have a PMO who's making sure that they hit these key results for this application. It's just not how things go. And so I think it's an area where Linux struggles particularly badly. And it's an opportunity for improvement. And it's an area where commercial desktops and platforms in general are generally going to be a little more disciplined about that kind of thing, in my experience. And so I appreciated Ethan's perspective on that GNOME conversation we were having. Yeah, I mean, for me, I don't know much about Orca. I mean, it, it sounds great, man. If the screen reader is working for you, that's awesome. I almost feel like I'm going to have to just pass on this one, only because I have nothing new to say on GNOME that I haven't already said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, man. Here's the thing, too. The vast majority of our email this week was about this. <laughs> like, was extremely negative. Right, it was, it was, yeah. We, yeah, yeah. I, so here's what I did, because like we couldn't just do this. We, we legitimately could fill three episodes with just the feedback about Gnome. I am reading it all. I've grabbed one more for this episode. And then I think what I'll do is I'll read the others and maybe one other will come on or I'll just respond to them directly or whatever. I still want to give people's thoughts. 
it helps me inform my position. Getting people's experiences at a, at a large scale is actually a pretty useful data signal, data point for me. Anyways, Dan comes in with his own GNOME hot take, and this is our last one. He said, I want to chime in with your discussion for the GNOME desktop, and I 100% agree. The GNOME developers are building a terrific product for a market that is not there. I've recently tried out Fedora Silverblue, and the default GNOME experience is pretty good out of the box, but I always reach a point where things start driving me nuts. What really annoys me about this, though, is not a new problem. It's been like this for a decade. I have to agree, GNOME would be a terrific environment if desktop Linux was a thing outside of, like, developers. I can imagine my grandma using something like Fedora Silverblue or OpenSUSE MicroOS Desktop with GNOME 40 after I explained it to her. But beyond this niche, there's Windows, there's Mac. They're already solving this problem, and I don't see anyone using a vanilla GNOME install at all. Have a great week and a successful and quick move to Michael. Well, thank you for the well wishes, of course. I have to say I was, I was pretty blown away by the amount of feedback we got on this one. I think, you know, we, we, have a, we have an audience that's very technical. They're using these as development workstations in a lot of cases, and that's not the direction the project's going in. So I think that's why it resonated with people so much. You've already made your peace with it when your backgrounds couldn't be changed anymore. Like, you made your peace with this, right? But there's a whole new generation or a whole new wave of GNOME users who saw this blog post and went, oh, man, they're detached from reality, and they're not building this for me. Like, this confirms it. They put it over the top for a lot of people. You know, I feel like this is one of those topics that's going to seem, and I, there, there were a bunch of them over the years, right? We've been doing this forever. That's going to seem like a really big deal for maybe another six to eight months. Yeah. But by mid-2022, let's say this time next year, it's going to resolve itself in one of two ways. And I mean, I, I could give you my prediction if we're going to fry some bacon here, but. You have a prediction? I, I, it's, it's kind of a, a A or B prediction, right? One of two things is going to happen. Someone in desktop Linux is going to, quote unquote, resolve these issues, right? So I'm, I'm not going to get into the pissing contest of are these real issues. I think they are. Other people don't, and I get that. Or, goddamn, those M1s are sexy, and people are going to go back to the <laughs> Mac. Like, And when I say people, I mean the people who would listen to this show, right? The yeah. more pragmatic developer audience. And I know we have a lot of uh, freedom diehards and that's cool. Great. You know, I personally, I did accept the KDE challenge. I haven't done it yet. I'll do it probably over the winter break. Yeah. Take your time. Don't rush it. Right. So maybe, maybe like I'll, I'll use plasma and like, it'll be like, you know, Sakoth, his eyes wide open. Right. By the way, there you go. My hot tip for taking on a plasma challenge is for like, say it's five day challenge or seven day challenge each day, adopt a new plasma way of doing something. Train yourself on something new each day, like maybe how you launch an application or manage Windows or something. And that made it a lot smoother for me. Mm, okay. Todd wrote in, he just summed it up and said, yeah, here's the thing, guys, and you missed this point. Basically, he, I'm summarizing Todd, but he said, the thing that's going to save Linux, and it's always the thing that saves Linux. Server. Is choice. You don't, well, yeah, right, but the server. But... The thing that really is going to save the desktop environment is you have choice on Mac OS or on Windows. If they may, if Apple makes a bad UI decision or Microsoft makes a bad UI decision, you're screwed. But on Linux, you can just switch to a different desktop environment. And because you have choice, it saves everything. And I just don't know if I agree with that anymore. I used to think that way. But now looking at the years of just all of the energy of de and developer time being dispersed into all of these different areas and the fragmentation that it's caused and 
talking to developers who didn't really know how to even begin to target the Linux desktop for years now. I don't know if I totally agree with Todd. I think it is also the thing that saves Linux at the same time, though. It's it's both it's a huge impedance, the fragmentation, and it's also, I think, ultimately kind of an organic savior. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of things going on, right? Like when I first started out with Linux way back, you know, when I was listening to you and Lunduke, when I was so, oh, we, oh, we that um, in the early aughts, whatever it was, you know, it was no offense to everybody at Canonical, but Ubuntu was fucking garbage, right? Like it, it just was, it was, it was bad. I mean, it was. And early Ubuntu was considered a pretty big step up from standard Linux back then. Right. But, you know, if, if Pop! OS existed, I mean, maybe I would have still went the way I went because of like, you know, my, my kind of breakout thing was iPhone development. But barring that, I don't know that I ever would have been like over to the Mac side. My, my point being, it's, it's important to recognize that there's been just a ton of progress, right? I remember fiddling with Wi-Fi drivers and having to like Ethernet in to download some stupid script that you had to run or copy pasta something into etc whatever now you just have to adjust the power mode so that way your transfer rate's reasonable but it connects Ooh, you're using my own <laughs> tips against me we'll link to that in the show notes wow that was good right and i yeah. like how that's broken on like most of the laptops that most linux vendors ship yeah Ooh. anything that's really using ubuntu right well because they want to pump their battery life so they default to the power so for those who don't know on twitter I was having just a bear of a time with uh, my Wi-Fi speeds, and I had my MacBook next to my System76, and this is, and oh, I'm sorry, next to my ThinkPad, actually all three of them, and I was getting roughly just shy of double the bit, the, I'm talking down, right, the down bandwidth yeah. on the Google speed test, and using the same speed test, the same network, <laughs> same machines, averaging out, doing everything the right mathematical way. And it took me forever. And I start like, you know, you, you get into this world where you're on the dark side of the Ubuntu forums that haven't been looked at since <laughs> like 20, 2015. You already, as soon as you see the post date, you're like, oh no, I'm screwed. And there's like one dude who's like, dude, just go into get Vim or Nano. And you, you sick weirdos. Somebody wrote in about Nano. Mm. Hell yeah. And edit this file, change a three to a two, I think is what it was. But you can, it's in my Twitter feed somewhere. Sure. Change a three to a two. Save it, restart the machine. That sounds stupid. I did it right on par with the Mac. Now it's faster, yeah. But there's a price. Battery life went down. Yes, yeah. On both the Think One Carbon, I'm sorry, the ThinkPad Carbon, and the, uh, I, I believe it's the Lemur that I have, right? That sounds right. I always confuse it with the Galago. I think it's a Lemur. So, I don't know. Is it, to me... I pay a lot for bandwidth. I like having bandwidth. I'm just going to say my M1 Mac can do it without any power savings. Well, yeah, it's probably doing it dynamically or some, you know, clever thing like that. I will also note while we're talking about laptops, the framework laptop has started shipping to customers. That's that DIY modular and the early reviews. Decent. Sounds like it's early days for the hardware. Linux, you know, longer, older Linuxes are still not really well supported yet, but it's getting there getting there so i may i may end up uh asking for a review unit or see if i can't twist his west's arm on actually pulling the trigger on purchasing one he's been thinking about we'll see because i want to see it i want to see it to believe it i want to see everyone's faces too we have two meetups coming up one in salt lake city on august 7th the other in denver august 20th 
Links to both those meetups will be in the show notes, or you can just go to meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. We have locked in the venues, really great venues for both Salt Lake City and Denver. I have a box full of swag I'm bringing with me, some great art that Linode helped us put together. Their design team created some really great, unique stickers just for the road trip. So if you're in the area and you can make it, I'd love, I'd love you to, to join us. It'd be great to actually see people again. I, it's super, super useful to actually like put faces to names and the whole thing. Like it's, it's part of the process and we'd love to have you involved. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. And then like a maniac, I'm going to have a live tracker on me during the road trip. So if you're in our route, if it looks like we're going to be in your area, maybe you can get a hold of me. I'll have a form and all of that at colonytracker.live once, once I'm on the road. That's all coming up very, very soon. Linode.com slash coder. Go there and get $100 in credit on your account for a new account, I should say, for 60 days. And Linode is our cloud computing provider. So I think you're going to love them because I've tried them all. And Linode's the one I've stuck with. Now, they have been around since 2003. So they've been doing this for 18 years, and they've really honed what they have done. Like, they, that's, that's, I love the way they have just stayed focused and made their platform better, and they've made it more price aggressive. They've made their interface cleaner. And, you know, what Linode does is they, they just upgrade you. They, they just, at the price point you're paying, you get more for it later on. I've seen that over the last couple of years is it's they, they invest continually in their hardware. They're not just sitting around on their laurels. They're they're uh, they're always moving forward. They're always making the service better. And that's one of the things that checks my boxes for Linode. But I think truly you can see in the product when you use something that is well refined and focused as Linode's pr- platform is after 18 years, you can see it in there. They, they are focusing on just making cloud computing simple, affordable and accessible. They got started back in 2003 when user mode Linux was landing in the Linux kernel. And some of the people on their team now recognized where it was going and realized there was an opportunity here to scale out Linux in a way that had never been done on the internet before. This is before AWS started. This is way before Azure started, way before Google Cloud Services. Linode had their head in the game and they saw where this was going. So they built out something that's easy to use and it's powerful. If you've never deployed a server before, you're going to be fine. If you've been deploying servers for 20 years, you're going to love what they offer. And then they have a bunch of services on the back end that I use the hell out of, like S3 compatible object storage. They have DDoS protection. They have VLAN support, powerful DNS manager. And of course, they have traditional block storage. If you, if you just want to get like some block storage on a device, I use that sometimes as well. And they'll plug in with your management platform. So if you're using Terraform or Kubernetes, they support all of that. They have one-click application deployments. If none of that's your bag and you just want to hit something and get started. And the nice thing about Linode, the other thing, there's another check for one of my boxes, fantastic performance, very fast, super fast networking between their data centers with pricing 30 to 50% cheaper than other major cloud providers. And maybe you should also consider a multi-cloud strategy, something that Linode exceeds at. Check it all out, get started, kick the tires, as they say, experiment with it, see what you can do by going to linode.com slash coder. Use that $100 to test your network out. Linode makes it really simple to deploy iPerf and then just get a real read on your network performance. Something like that's super simple. And there's all kinds of opportunities when you get $100 in credit. So go sign up today at linode.com slash coder, get $100 in credit and support the show. linode.com slash coder.
You've had a busy week, and I want to cover. I want to cover a couple of things. Uh, you're doing a giveaway. I want to get to. Before we get into that, there's a little bit of hoopla we should probably talk about because it's in our wheelhouse, and it's this takedown of iDOS 2 from the Apple App Store, and it just is so infuriating. It's the worst. Yeah, I mean, this, this one really, really, uh, uh, God, this just... The back and forth, the back and forth with Apple, right? He's been going back and forth with Apple for years. And for, for a while, in a period of time, he couldn't even update his own app. Apple, like, cut him off. Then they let him back in in September 2020. They let him roll out a few changes. And now, oh, nope. You're all again, all, you're all again, you're just, you're violating the, the, the app store rules around executing code. You have 14 days or something like that to fix your app or you're out of here. Yeah. So, so, uh, uh this guy, Choji Lee, I hope I'm saying your first name right. Pretty sure L I is Lee, um, has an app called IDOS 2. What it does is exactly what it sounds like. It is a very, I think, kind of cute because it's got like the old DOS, it looks like an old DOS computer, like the old IBM, whatever. Yeah. I've got the app. It looks just like that. On- I, I bought it. My, yeah, it looks just like that. On his <laughs> right. So, so one, probably the best marketing he could have ever hoped for, but let's just move on from that. Yeah. It, it's sort of like a, I guess a silver lining kind of way. You know, he's been on the app store since 2014. Yeah. So this app has been around. He's had updates rejected here and there, but basically it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a DOS emulator for lack of a better term. And, uh, he submitted a bug fix update, and Apple decided that running DOS code is uh, not okay. It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. They say in their rejection letter, quote, specifically, your app executes IDOS packages and image files and allows iTunes file sharing and file support for importing games. Executing code can introduce or change features or functionality of the app and allows for downloading of content without licensing. Right, so they're making two arguments, right? It's theoretically insecure, although he goes to um, great strains to some of the articles that have been written to explain that he actually only does anything in the app sandbox. So, you know, it, it's sandboxed, right? <laughs> right, it seems like Apple would be aware of how their sandbox security model works, but uh, then again, maybe it doesn't work. <laughs> there is a licensing issue, I suppose, that I guess someone from 1985 or four <laughs> could come back and be like, yo, you got this random thing. You packaged up as an IDOS package and shared with somebody. Therefore we're going to sue Mr. Lee and probably Apple because lawyers are scumbags. But I don't know, man. I mean, open MU runs just fine on my Mac. <laughs> well, and you could make this same claim. I shouldn't even say it out loud with ISH, which lets you run a Linux environment on an iPad. Yeah. And you know, also what's also really weak about this is the, you got 14 days to fix this or you're out. Well, fix this would be to remove the ability to run DOS apps, which is the core function of the app. Or I guess you could preload a bunch of like your own DOS apps in the thing. And it's just like a weird curated DOS museum, right? But that's garbage. So there's actually another couple takes of this. One, Apple is pushing the iPad Pro as a computer replacement. Well, executing code is a pretty fundamental goddamn thing that pros do at computers. Yeah, I, I mean, why else do I have this keyboard and this trackpad and this, and this M1 in these things now, right? Come on. Also, this is why text editors on Mac generally suck. This is why it's hard to get a good linter that's not doing some insane, like, cloud stuff. 
I'm sorry, not on Mac, on uh, iOS, on iPad. This is the problem right here. This is the problem. Given the sandboxing mechanism and how it works, it ought to be pretty possible to execute code within a package and keep it relatively secure. Yeah. Right. And I, and I would, I would go even further to say that maybe you only, you know, you, you add some automated checks to make sure it's staying in package. Obviously people in the past have done things to avoid app review and cheating with the automated checks, but whatever. Honestly, some of this falls down on the OS, like have a security model where only allowed things can execute. I just, I mean, there's SE Linux. This can manage something like this. I mean, at a certain point, it's, I find like, I find that two things here. It's like they don't trust their own sandbox. And two, shouldn't their OS be robust enough to handle something like this? Well, is it they don't trust their own sandbox or, you know, over the years, we've had these stories all the time. I'm starting to think, are they afraid of the iPad in particular somehow eclipsing the Mac? Right. These restrictions, I mean, some of them are, they want their 30% cut, right? That's, you know, pretty, pretty common. This one just feels like, like, I understand they have a general principle about executing code, but there's also like the specific case of this dude has a little DOS emulator. What the hell is going to happen? <laughs> right, like, right. And as far as the the licensed content argument goes, I mean, Safari can download unlicensed content. Chrome can un- can download. Mail.app could download unlicensed content. I mean, it's it's a bogus argument. Well, also, DMCA exists. I mean, I'm a rinky-dink developer, and I had my old app code journal pirated, and I had to do a takedown on it. Yeah, I remember that. Why is this different? I just don't get the logic. Well, so to your point about Apple trying to, like, prevent the iPad from stealing MacBook sales, Apple's kind of famous. I mean, I don't know if it's true in all cases. Maybe things have shifted, but aren't they? They're famous for cannibalizing one product line to sell another product line. They, they cannibalized iPod to sell iPhones. For more money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's the big difference here. That is, right? I mean, you got to figure a MacBook. I mean, a MacBook starts at the high end of an iPad price, right? And now they're making them basically out of the same components. It's just one's got a metal case and one has less case. <laughs> but number one has an expensive touchscreen with uh, the feedback for the pencil. I mean, all right. In your mind, what is the logic behind this kind of rule? Well, there is the original mindset that Apple wanted to treat this thing like an appliance, like a console. And so they have a very specific idea of what can and can't be done on it. And because of the security issues, and because of this this idea, this thought model they have about what the iPad is and what iOS devices are, they may have just reflexively acted. But what seems so strange is the way AppReview didn't have an issue with this core functionality since September 2020 when they've allowed the developer to resume updating it. It's not like you just added the ability to execute applications. And when you see these kind of shifts all of a sudden, one on its own doesn't tell you much but we have seen shifts in apple policy i think you'll recall like around the hey email day we saw apple lean heavy on how people did subscriptions and made sure apple got their cut like all of a sudden it was like a new initiative that was being pushed by apple leadership via app store review and you don't you don't really know if that's what we're going through right now until you start to see several of them happen I mean, maybe ISH gets their door knocked on next. I hope not. God bless. I hope not. That's such a good project. 
Well, no, but that's actually a great point, right? Because Apple, they like to, when they want to hit somebody big, they usually go after somebody, a bunch of small people and say, well, we're consistent. Look at these 20 other apps. We did take, we did not takedowns, but we did rejections for. Right. They're building, they're building to something. They're building the case, right? Because what was one of uh, Fortnite's, uh, I'm sorry, Epic Games defense because of Fortnite? Well, look at all these other apps that you're ignoring the rules from. What did Apple do? Start taking them down, right? <laughs> like, Yeah. Yeah. So also we have, and we don't want to go too much into this, but from the Epic lawsuit, we have the emails that were put into discovery where right from the jump in like 2010, Apple was thinking about the app store as a mechanism to leverage value out of developers and to control their platform. And that control has made a good product. It really has. And a ton of money. But the technology hasn't stood still. And they have to update the way they treat these things and their policy around software on these as the capabilities of these machines becomes truly PC level. Well, do they have to? <sighs> no. I mean, unless somebody makes them, how are they? How, what? I mean, Mr. Lee, for, for all the positive press he's getting, the best case for him is he makes some negotiated solution with Apple and he's still going to, his app is still going to be slightly, uh, uh, you know, disabled or gimped. If I were him, I would be selling my core technology to some old famous DOS games company, you know, and getting them to use it as a runtime to prepackage up like five of their games. That's a great line of business for something like this, right? You sell it as a B2B product. That's Play Apple's game and make more money. I mean, even, hey, they ended up, like they claim they won, but I don't know. They ended up kind of having to compromise, right? Like they're, they're, they didn't get what they wanted. People do crazy stuff for well, to get into Walmart. To get, to get their product on the shelf at Walmart, they'll make crazy sacrifices. So maybe it's worth it for some. I, I feel like as a company who is building a technology product, they should care about technology. And if you care about technology, then limiting what these machines can do in this way artificially, when you're putting 16 gigs of RAM and an M1 processor in there, just it feels negligent. It feels like you don't care about the technology, really. You just, you know, you're doing it to do it, I guess. I just don't get that sense from all of Apple. I'm sure that could be true at some levels of leadership, but... Well, I think they would say they care about the users and they're, quote, protecting the users. But in the darkest corners of their private management meetings, they also care about the 30%. And when you, when you get to be their size, you don't get bigger by cutting the ways you make money out. <laughs> like You don't get bigger by cutting back revenue. And they need every penny they can if they want to be, because Wall Street always wants them to be growing. Right. And for the last few years, we were speculating on what that services revenue, you know, chunk that was growing and growing and growing was, right? Could it possibly be iCloud? Well, the Epic lawsuit once again showed us, no, they consider the App Store revenues like the 30 part of services. That's like the biggest piece. Yep, that's it. I mean, once you understand that little piece of it, a lot of it starts to make sense, I think. And and then it's just like, how much are they willing to sacrifice to not get their heads chopped off over it? Like They got to find that line. Um, and I, I think there's like, I feel like sometimes a mandate comes down from upstairs that says, all right, start enforcing this. If you see an app that comes through that does this, let us know. And, you know, maybe he's, maybe he's the right size. So he's the first one, or maybe he just happens to be submitting at the wrong time when this new policy is in effect. Probably both, right? He, he's wrong time plus, but he has enough of a following that he could get attention. I'm sure if we cast our net wide, this is going on with a bunch of other developers who can't get a Verge article or a Mac Rumors article. <laughs> right. That's how it works, right? So, yep. yeah. Yep. All right. Well, hey, let's talk about something fun. Sure. Uh, you're giving away another computer. Not just a computer, Chris. No. 
not just a computer. Thalia, as always. This is the first time I don't have the contest fully formed, but I figured I'd give the Code Radio folks a pre-announcement. So I, I missed Earth Day this year. So I'm doing something for back to school end of the year, probably shipping it around Thanksgiving, something FOSS. Same deal as always. You got to be a U.S. middle school or high school student. And, uh, you know, your your submissions, gonna, and I'm going to write this all up and we'll link it in next week's show. But your submission has to be public on GitHub and the winner will get a, I actually already have the Thalio. It is a black Thalio with a 12 gig NVIDIA chip. Oh! And I think 64 gigs of RAM. Woohoo! And it Ryzen, of course, because I don't, I don't do Intel when I don't have to. That is a heck of a giveaway. Really? Yes, really. So we'll have a link soon. It's also, there's some info on Mike's Twitter feed as well. Yeah, boy, could you imagine as a being a student getting a getting a machine like that? <laughs> oh, that's gonna be cool. All right, so let's talk about your your adventures coding on the train. So you got on the Amtrak for better or for worse, and you had work to get done. I assume. <laughs> How did all this go? What did you bring with you? Was it a horrible mistake? <laughs> so I had to take the Amtrak, um, the auto train, which for those who don't know, is a train where you can drive your car on, or you can load your car onto it, then you get in the train. Unfortunately, there was some sort of accident and the train was wildly delayed about five or six hours. Like a train accident? No, there was a storm and they were saying some kind of uh, just like crap fell on the tracks and it delayed another train. So, I mean, this is way inside baseball, but I learned a lot about how Amtrak works. Amtrak does not own the railroad line. Amtrak is not, in fact, the federal government. They lease the lines from a company called, in this case, CTX truck, uh, CTX rail or something. What happens is when there's an accident, either a train accident, you know, a suicide, God forbid, or in this case, a weather-related problem, the owner of the line, the freight train company CTX, or in the, there's different ones, right, for different lines, prioritizes their trains that go very slow. Amtrak gets last bid most of the time because it's just what it's just the it's just the people, it's just the just the middle class who cares about them. With the exception of like the Acela line, which is the fancy, you know, New York to DC to Boston line, which this was not, Amtrak basically does not make money, right? The Acela line does, the Northeast Corridor does, this line, the auto train is arguable. Yeah. So there was a lot of just like sitting in the train, and I had work to do. <laughs> so with me, I had my M1 MacBook Air. My Verizon, whatever they call it, 5G, don't call it ISIS because they used to call it that uh, hotspot thing. And an iPad. And let me tell you something. Did you bring charging cables with I you? Did. Just, I you did. Know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. 5G is a goddamn lie. Uh-oh. 5G truther here, everybody. What happened? It worked fine in Florida. We hit... South Carolina and North Carolina basically didn't work. And it was down to LTE, but really spotty LTE. So at that point, Zoom calls became impossible. And I was having like get remote hung up, timed out stuff going on. You get further up north, the train runs from uh, uh, Sanford, Florida to Lorton, Virginia, I believe. Virginia, everything works again because you're close to D.C., right? And, of course, and the closer you are to the FCC headquarters, the yeah. better your, uh, <laughs> your, your wireless signal is going to be in a very general kind of way. So I 
cannot express how disappointed I am in this rather expensive, unlimited 5G thing that looks like a brick, like an actual brick that I bought from Verizon because I don't know where people are talking about the race to 5G or, you know, getting rid of home internet and just 5Ging it up. That is just not like this was for me. This was like, all right, I got this business line with 5G. It's unlimited. I'm going to see what I can do. And it just, it wasn't like a throttling issue. It was a coverage issue. Yeah. It's really disappointing, huh? It's weird. What I have over here on the West coast is I'll be driving around in this backwoods rural area that is two and a half, three hours from Seattle. And I'll have screaming 5g coverage, screamer 5g. And then I get into downtown and I got nothing. I, and like I get into city towns, like small towns up north of Seattle, nothing. You get out into the into the like the rural areas, five G again. That's been very frustrating for me. It's it's not widely deployed. I'm sorry, I was crying a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I couldn't even get LTE for half the trip. Yeah, that just sounds like you didn't have coverage at all. I've just built my whole setup in the RV around LTE at this point. But I've got Verizon, AT&T, and I've got, through Ting, I've got a couple of other networks that are backup networks. Well, so that's the thing. I was relying on one network, right? So maybe if I had an LTE, I'm sorry, a AT&T or a, um, a T-Mobile SIM, I might have gotten lucky. But That's generally your best route in the U.S., Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile. But it's very expensive to do that. In the moment, it feels so worth it, though. But then when you're sitting here and you're not, actually out and about it's a big chunk of change to be paying for data it is but there is a hero of this journey oh yeah the m1 macbook air baby <laughs> how am i not surprised that battery life right battery life plus performance as long as i didn't have to hit a network i was in good shape i was wondering if you would be screwed since you, you know you go to you get on the train you're expecting it to be x amount of hours delays 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 make it a lot longer i was wondering like if, you know, battery life was going to be a problem. But also, did you end up just having to eat, like, all of their, like, prepackaged sandwich food type stuff? Absolutely not, because I was fasting. I would rather not eat. Yeah, I hate I hate the train food. It's such a bummer. Fasting on the train is a brilliant idea. Then you just avoid the temptation. That's what I do. I drink tea, and I had um, uh, tonic. Not a gin and tonic. For the listeners, jump down with it, but tonic because there's sugar in it and it fills you up. It also settles your stomach for when you don't eat and you feel nauseous. You're going to be beating the ladies off with a stick when you get to Jersey. You know, you're going to come back with that Florida glow plus that 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 fasting slimness. You're going to be beating them off with a stick. You're not going to know what to do. Mm, I already got one. <laughs> I'm fast like the M1. She better prepare for competition. That's what I'm saying. Woohoo! Well, so next next time, flight flying up. You guys get there. You're done. You're not going back anymore after that. Uh, not for any long periods of time. We still have the server facility in Plant City. So I'll be back maybe once a quarter for like two or three nights. Yeah. Wow. That's huge, though. Man. Oh, man. The bulk of stuff is moved now then? Or is that getting still in transit? Like, how's that working? Like the big the big items. So this is, again, a little inside baseball for folks who do the Amtrak auto train. I loaded most of the expensive equipment for for the mad botter in my car that then went on the train. So that is up there. That's so nice. We don't have that on the West coast. There, there is no equivalent. I don't think so. No, I've never seen one. So I don't have a space for it yet. So it's just sitting in the, in the townhouse I'm going to be living in, but 
I um like personal effects clothes, the kids' toys are all gonna I have movers, they're gonna like deliver it, whatever. That's good. Good for you. Like the iMac Pro is up there, the uh thick couple Thalios are up there. <laughs> I now have the joy of trying to find a space to work out of or or I have there's this whole thing of like do I finish a basement to make a working space? I don't know. That's a job too. That's a whole other set of projects. Yeah, there's all all kinds of weird fun coming up in Coda Radio. With Mike's, oh my God, I'm back in Jersey, and I I had to remember how to drive in New Jersey. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that when I come back to Seattle when I'm on a road trip. I have to change how I drive when because people here cannot drive. People there can drive. But you got to dial up the aggression like fifty points. Yeah, I will be in studio for next week's episode. And then after that, for a few weeks, I'll be on the road doing the show. Was everything still planned as normal? But I'll just be doing it from the road, so that should be nice and crazy and wild. <laughs> I'm actually freaking out today. Today's the day because it's like, oh, it's just one week away, and then I'm pretty much hitting the road, and that's really soon. Life is always just a series of projects, isn't it? Like you're going through a bunch of projects right now. I'm going through a bunch of projects and sometimes they're personal projects. Sometimes they're work projects. Usually it's all at the same time. That's it. So good luck to you. And uh, don't forget everyone to join us next week. If you want to join us live, you can join us at 1 PM Eastern, 10 AM Pacific, or just get subscribed at coder.show slash subscribe and get the show at its regular time. It won't really affect when you get it because we're just recording a few hours earlier. If you're not a Coder QA member yet, CoderQA.co, go get a membership going, support the show, get a limited ad feed, and also a brand new Coderly is out, perfectly on theme. So it's posted to the members area for direct download. If you're a member, you can just go log in and grab it. Or if you're already subscribed to the limited ad feed, I just added it to that feed. So it just shows up in your podcatcher. And if you're not a member yet, CoderQA.co, you get access to all previous Coderlies, which we do once a quarter. Go find Mr. Dominic on Twitter. He's at Dumanuku. His company is at the Mad Botter Inc. Is there anything else you want to mention before we get out of here, Mr. Dominic? Nope. Just uh, see you guys back in Jersey. All right. Well, uh, you can follow me. I'm over there at Chris LAS. The network is at Jupiter Signal. And the podcast is at Coder Radio Show. That's a great way to get like show announcements, news, release information. Those accounts will do. Links to what we talked about today. That's going to be at coder.show slash 424. You'll also find our contact form. Your emails are a big part of our show. You'll also get the RSS feeds over there and all that good stuff. That's at Coder.show. And join us live next week, 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific at jblive.tv. Thanks so much for joining us. See you right back here next week.